Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hey, um, who got their coffee on the way to church this morning? Nobody, like there was a few maybe, three, four, five, maybe a few hands. I, um, I live with a housemate who actually craves, has coffee and, and craves coffee and always does better when she has coffee. Um, anyone else here like that? You need your daily coffee to get you going? Can I see all the people who do not drink coffee? Give me a wave. Wow. Wow, there's more of you than I expected. Welcome to the family. I don't drink coffee either. I hate the taste. I hate the smell. That's awesome. Do you all drink hot chocolates? Is that like your, your drink when you go out, hot chocolate? Do you feel like a little kid when you do that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I walk in and I feel like, yep. Yeah. And because I, I can't, I, you know, it's not that I can't drink milk, but I choose not to drink milk because I just don't like the way it makes me feel. So I order a soy hot chocolate. <laughs> it's a bit fancy anyway. Doesn't make me feel like such a kid. But hey, you know, I, I noticed this, that there are things that we often crave for. Anyone here craving for the presence of God? Anyone craving for more of the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do? I believe more than ever that there is things that God is doing in us where He is creating cravings within us. But you know, I often have to ask myself questions about some of the cravings that I have because a lot of them are for my own gain. Sweet things make me feel good. Caffeine makes me feel great in other forums other than coffee. <laughs> but things we crave are for self-satisfaction. Yeah. But you know that ultimately the thing that God craves is his children to come home. Yeah. Yeah. He craves salvation. He said it's his desire that none would perish without knowing him. And Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you'll all know it because it follows the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus came to seek and to save the? Let's do it again. Jesus came to seek and save the? With a bit more energy. Jesus came to seek and save the? Now we're talking. Welcome to the 11 a.m. He came to seek and save the lost. But you know the word seek in this passage, when you go into the Greek word and you look into the depths of it, it actually means that he desires, that he craves lost people. When was the last time that you and I craved lost people? Crave like I mean you crave coffee or you crave the presence of that friend or you crave the presence of God. When was the last time that we craved lost people. Now, I'm not talking about friends and family. I'm talking about the person on the street that you passed on the way into church today. When was the last time we craved for lost people? See, I believe more than ever, we're in a season where God is, is captivating our hearts again with our love and affection for Him and who He is. But His desire is that it would go out. His desire is that it would go out. And when he said he came to seek and to save the lost, we often look at that and go, that's the finish of that passage of Scripture. Zacchaeus up the tree, comes down, meets Jesus, goes to his home, has an encounter with Jesus, finishes that moment, 
gets saved, gives half or four times his belongings back to those who he took from, according to Mosaic law. But then in our Bibles, it's got like a next heading. Right? But this is a follow-on passage of Scripture. So we're going to turn to it, Luke chapter 19. And we're going to pick it up from verse 11, which is post the verse, Jesus came to crave and seek and save the lost. It says this, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. As they heard Jesus say that he came to seek and save the lost, that he came and he's craving the lost. He proceeded to tell them a parable because they were near Jerusalem. Because they had supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. Let's stop there for a second. Literally, these people thought that Jesus was about to usher in the kingdom and they were all ready to do a party and be like, here we go, here he is. He's about to usher in the kingdom. Now that meant like to take rule reign right here, right now. But Jesus tells them this parable in light of that conversation in their minds. And he says... Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. Okay, a mina is a coin. This parable is not to be confused with the parable of the gifts and the talents. Do you remember that one? Each one was given according to their ability. Yeah? No, no, this one is according to to that which he gave. He gave them one minna, one coin, each. And he says this, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. He's painting this picture. I'm calling people, I'm telling them there is work to be done. Here's what I give to you. Go and do what needs to be done. Let's move on. But his citizens hated him imagine hating Jesus? And he sent a delegation after them, after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he has returned, receiving received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that they might know what they, he might know what they had gained by doing business. Everyone say doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna made me 10 minas. And he said to them, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, I will give you authority over 10 cities. And then the second came to him and he said, Lord, your minna made me five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And then another came to him saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank at my coming? I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those that stood by, he said, take the minute from the one who didn't do anything with it, and give it to the one who has 10 minutes. And they said to him, Lord, but he has 10. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. But as for these enemies of mine, question, who's he talking to here? Enemies of mine. 
So there's three that came back. There was 10 minutes given out to 10 people, to 10 servants. And he says to them, for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Whoa! That's a heavy passage for a Sunday morning. But what we have here is a passage of scripture that Jesus is painting to the people that he is with. I'm not about to usher in my kingdom, but I am about to distribute my kingdom to you to steward. As a servant, I'm giving this to you to steward. And he paints a picture very clearly that in that posture, only three return and seven totally just diss whatever. He says, like, no, whatever, I'll just take my minute and I'll run. (laughs) But in this passage, we see that only two were given more responsibility, more weight, more authority as a result of them working. See, they engaged in business until he came. They engaged with what was entrusted to them by God. Now, each of these guys was considered to be a servant. Basically, summary of the word means a slave, one who gives himself to another's will in extending and advancing the cause among men, devoted to another to disregard of one's own interests. They took on that which they were given and disregarded everything of their own and made it their priority. They carried it. They stewarded it. It was like this. My question to us today in this space is which servant do we relate to? Do you relate to the seven and be like, oh, that's not my responsibility? Do we relate to it being like, Oh, there's such weight and responsibility with this. I'm not sure I can do it. Put it in my pocket with a handkerchief, hoping no boogers. Or are we pulling it out like the faithful servant? Notice a faithful servant, not a striving servant. A faithful servant. And we're stewarding that what he gave to us. To steward means to manage. It means to do something with it. But the thing is that God called those people back because he wanted to know what they had gained while doing business. See, God is looking for multiplication of that which he has entrusted to you. He has entrusted to you and I the gospel. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, that, that he, we've been approved by God and that we have been entrusted with the gospel so that we not speak to please men, but that we speak to please God. That which we've been entrusted with. <laughs> I'm reminded of, a, I was in a, a youth ministry and we just started. We'd been a year into youth ministry and we were in a town. I started with three kids. And we had about 30 kids about a year later. And I just, I believe that God was going to do something big, outbreak in our city, see kids, teenagers get saved. It was like six and a half thousand people in that town. There was one high school and I was like, we're going to get them. 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 I preached this message, this context of this scripture to those kids. We gave each of those 30 kids uh, $10 each. And we said to them, we want to build a youth ministry that's going to reach this city. We need to have resources to be able to do that. Pool tables, ping pong tables, you know, hockey tables, all the things that you do to entertain kids, to engage with them and build connection and relationship with them so we could deliver the good news of the gospel. The kids were like, yeah, awesome. So we gave them 10 bucks each. And we said, what we want to do is we want to take that Ask God what you should do with it and then come back with it and what you, what you do on top. And you know that 
Half of those kids took off with 10 bucks and went, yippee, Maccas tonight. <laughs> but there were some in that group that went away and said, oh, 10 bucks, well, I could buy this off eBay and then I could sell this and I could get this and I could bring back 20. Yeah. Okay, all right, well, if I take the 20 and I could do that, then I could bring back 50. And I could buy, and we gave them three weeks to be able to do what they could with that and then bring it back. And literally, I saw young people get a hold of what it was to be entrusted. They all got the same thing. These people in this scripture, they were all given the same thing. Equal distribution, equal playing field, all on the same field. You and I, we're all on the same field. We're all on the same playing field. All on the same playing field. We each have the gospel that we are entrusted with. One kid came back from that youth ministry, came back to the, sorry, to the youth ministry that night, and he was like, Sheree, I took the $10 that you gave to me and I turned it all into five-cent pieces. And I was like, awesome. Probably not quite what we're thinking in multiplication, but yes. And as he showed them to me, he said, and this is what I'm going to do with it. I was like, okay, talk to me. And he goes, I'm going to go out on the street. I'm going to take my friends with me. I'm going to knock on the doors of people in our neighbourhood, in this area that we're trying to build a youth ministry, we're going to tell them what we're going to do. And what we're going to do is ask them to take that five cent piece and exchange it for something bigger. It could be a 10 cent piece, a 20 cent piece, a 50 cent piece, a $10 note, a $20, whatever they want to give us, we'll take it. And if they just want to keep the five cents, they can keep the five cents. I was like, awesome. They got it. They got it. And he came back with $1,300 as a result of taking what was entrusted to him. Each of those kids was given the same thing. But one stewarded it differently. How are we stewarding what God has given to us? How are we stewarding what God has given to us? See, the beauty of this passage is that there is a weightiness that comes with it. But you know why the weightiness is there? Because you see it as an obligation. Why do you see it as an obligation? Why do we see evangelism as an obligation? And not just part of our natural DNA? Because we've aligned ourselves in this area of our life to see Jesus just as Saviour and not as Lord. Because if He's Lord, we're about the Father's business. But if He's just Saviour, I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm rolling. But when we have... Lord and Saviour, we have ourselves postured to be about the Father's business. But see, the problem is we look at this and we we see it as an obligation because the word servant almost seems like a slave to it. And Paul actually addresses this. See, what he recognises here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 7, come with me. We need to understand this today because the weight you're feeling is not the weight that God actually wants you to carry. He wants you to carry His burden for lost people and have a craving for lost people, but not out of a place of obligation as a slave or as a servant, but He wants you to have it as a son, as a daughter of the Most High God. Let's read this passage together. Verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come from God, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are the sons of God, God has sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave, but you are a son. The same word in this passage of Luke chapter 19, calling to his servants, is the same word here used as slave in Galatians. I'm telling you today that God wants to exchange your slave mindset, your slave orphan spirit to a son, to a daughter of the Most High God. Because when you get that, everything changes. It's no longer obligation. See, I've been praying for souls my whole life. I've been praying since I was a kid that God would give me souls. And I'm not anyone special or unique, but I had a revelation that God had a heart for other people to know Him. And it hit me at the age of five. Today I'm praying, it hits you today in this service, that there would be a space in your heart that would open up and be like, I want that. I need that. God, give me that. Because I'm telling you, it will change everything in the way you approach the people in your world. Because you no longer see them As an obligation, you no longer see them as randoms, but you see them as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters who are far away from the Father. See, when I pray for my nephew who's not walking with the Lord in this season, man, I tell you, I intercede like nothing. I'm on my face before God. God, save him. Holy Spirit, wreck him. When he walks in those places, let him no longer be satisfied. And I prayed. I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray like that. And I prayed for souls my whole life. I actually prayed as a teenager at the age of 16 as God imparted into my heart a desire for souls. I read of a man who prayed. His name was uh, John Hyde. He prayed this prayer. He said, God, give me souls or I die. And it came from Sarah in the Bible when she was praying for children in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. She said, give me children or I die. And I felt God burden my heart with this prayer that's been prayed by many of the revivalists before. Many have gone before us, many believers. God, give me souls or I die. I only want to see salvation. I only want to see people come to know Jesus. Because this earth doesn't matter. What happens in this world doesn't matter. It's fickle, it's time, it's like this much in the blink of eternity. And what God wants to do today is birth in us a spirit of son and daughter, an identity of a son and a daughter who is not just obligated, but literally has the DNA in them to actually be about the Father's business. To be about the Father's business. So often you and I, we get stuck in our everyday life where we find things that just get in the way. Busyness. Kids run, school run, drop off, and we just, we're just running from thing to thing to thing to thing. Yeah. And we're missing the opportunities where God has put them in front of us. How many people did you walk by to get here today that didn't know Jesus? How many people did you line up behind to get your coffee this morning that didn't know Jesus? Because let me tell you this, they're not just random numbers on a street. They're your lost brothers and sisters in Christ. The way you pray for your family, the way you long for your family to come to know Christ is the same way that God craves their salvation. And He's wanting to birth that in you and I today. He's wanting to birth that in you and I today. And as adopted sons and daughters, we're no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God set apart for the gospel. And when Paul said it in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he said, I am a servant of Jesus. I have been set apart for the gospel. See, when he uses the word servant, he understands his identity as a son and the posture to serve the Father and be about the Father's business. 
this is his heart today. And that's why when we gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, all of a sudden we're captivated by his love and we're captivated by his love for others. And it starts to stir and it starts to burn inside of us. But so often, so often we get caught up in what hinders the gospel. And Paul, I'm reminded of Paul as he's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's, he's actually having a conversation with the church at that time and saying to him, listen, I actually have a right to receive from you financial support because I preach the gospel. But I also have a right to refuse that because I don't want anything to get in the way or hinder the gospel message. He actually uses the word obstacle. Have you ever, I, well, funny story. I was in here yesterday praying and um, I walked in and, and the lights were off in here, but the cleaner was out and the hallway lights were on, but it was pitch black in here. And as I walked in, y'all see these seats set up right now and you're sitting in them, it's awesome. But do you know someone else put those seats out for you today so you could sit on it? Yeah. It wasn't me. But it'd been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. But last night, when I, yesterday, when I came in here to pray, I walked in here to walk across the room and to flick a light switch on. And I walked in and literally, did, boom, oh my gosh. And I walked into a stack of eight chairs. And I almost had to rebuke the spirit that came out of me. <laughs> I was like, you. <laughs> but when something gets in your way, and you stumble into something because it's an obstacle that gets in your way. It's a hindrance. And Paul says in this passage, verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I do not want, I endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. An obstacle is a hindrance. It's something that gets in the way. It makes it difficult for someone to do something or for something to happen. You and I have got to say to God, God, remove all the obstacles. Because our question today is, do we hinder the gospel or do we actually honour the gospel? Because when we honour the gospel, it's a posture of esteem, of value and of great respect and of love for the gospel. But which steward are we? Well, I ain't not rejecting that. That's just for the, the evangelists. That's just for the ones. Oh, no, I understand the weight of it, but no, no, I can't do that. Or are we those that steward like that who brought back the 10 and brought back the five? Because I tell you, friend, at the end of the day, we don't want anything to hinder the gospel. I don't want to get to heaven and be told, you missed it. You're so busy doing this that you missed this because that's what I had for you, but you were on, on this train. And we each have responsibility before God and before God, our Father, who loves us. Paul said in verse 16, he says, The necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Whether I'm paid or whether I'm not, he says, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. I'm still entrusted to do something with this, to manage it and to be an overseer of it. And check out this in verse 19. He says, I have made myself. He didn't wait for someone else to do it for him. He didn't wait for the magical power to come upon him. He says, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more. That I might win more. In verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. He was like, to the Jews I became a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek, to the weak I became weak, to the strong I became strong, in order that I might win some. Yeah. 
What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do and become in order to win some? What are you doing? What are you believing for? What are you actually going to do? In verse 23, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. See, Paul so craved the gospel proclamation, he desired it more than the money that they were offering to him and all the opinions of man. He craved it more. He craved it more. And his desire was this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, I pray, so my heart's desire and prayer is that you might be saved. My heart's desire and prayer is that you might be saved. He aligned his heart's desire, knowing himself as a son of the most high God, with the DNA in him to not let anything hinder the gospel, but that it would come up and out of him. And see, this is the thing. We too are being given this opportunity onto how we're going to steward the gospel. We too are being given this moment right now. Now, I haven't preached to you on how to do this. You can come to the intensive and we'll show you how to do that. Because I felt like when God spoke to me about this, he was like, I need them to capture this. Because as a son or a daughter and as Lord and Saviour of their life, this is what will come as they desire me. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not the Ferrari that you want, not the things that you've been like. He, he will put, literally this, this scripture means he will put his desires in you. Wow. Wow. He'll put it in you. Yeah. Do you want it? Yeah. Do you want his desire? Because to crave in your own flesh is only to bring some benefit to you. But if you want it, you want his desire because it will bring benefit to him. Sons and daughters to be saved. Sons and daughters of your own. Sons and daughters on the street to anyone that you know or don't know. He longs for them. He craves for them to come home. He craves for them in relationship. Are you craving today? Are you craving today? See, this is the reality. I believe many of us have walked with Jesus in this area as Jesus as Saviour, but not as Lord because we've not wanted to partner with what He wants. But God would say to you today, He'll put it in you. If only you would respond. Some of us today actually need to repent for living as a slave and not as a son or a daughter. Some of us need to repent in this area for seeing it as an obligation and actually seeing it as a part of the DNA that's in you because you're about your father's business. Because you know what it is to be a son or a daughter of the most high God. As the band come back in this moment, why don't you just take a moment to stand your feet? We started in Luke chapter 19 where I told you that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And many of us are familiar with that passage. And Jesus tells the story about the stewardship and the responsibility that he's giving, not just to the disciples then, but to you and I as believers and followers of Jesus today. It goes on and it says that Jesus then walks into Jerusalem where everyone's expecting him to come in with the rule and reign and kingdom on earth and to establish that and to rule in the natural. But Jesus knew what was before him. 
He walked in and they had donkey bring him in. They had palms laid out. They had coats everywhere. They had everything going on as a big hoo-ha and a big celebration. And there was this great anticipation in people. And Jesus didn't get all excited because he saw all the hoo-ha, but Jesus got excited in his own spirit when he knew what was before him. There was a cost, there was a pain, but he knew he could endure it for the cross. He could endure it for the salvation of many. But as he walks into Jerusalem of chapter 19 of Luke, verse 41, it says this, after everyone's hollered and hoo-hard and carried on, and people have told him to tell his disciples to be quiet, he says, hey, you know what? They shouldn't be silent. If they were, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41 says this, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. See, Jesus himself was brought to his knees and wept in public, not because of compassion for somebody else, but because he saw what was in front of him? A people that did not know him. They knew of a religious, like a religious Messiah to come, but they didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't know him. They didn't have relationship with him. And he wept over the state of the city. See, the thing is, the closer you get, the more you see, the more you see, the more you move. My question is today, where are you moved to? Where are you moved to? Are you moved and compelled to action? Or are you moved to be like, oh, nah, I'm dropping that. When was the last time you wept for souls? When was the last time you found yourself burdened, not just for the ones you knew, but the ones you didn't know, the brothers and sisters that are lost? For me, I can only tell you, something shifted and changed in my heart. In recent months, as I started to read this word as this word started to get a hold of me and started convicting me and I had to repent I was like God I'm so sorry that I've been a slave and a servant when I should have been a daughter I'm so sorry God that I that I've lived with the mindset of an obligation I've lived with the mindset where there are just people out there <laughs> that don't know you Lord help me to see them as my brothers and sisters and to pray fervently like I would if they were my family because everything changes when you realise that they're a part of the family and that they're lost. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. 
I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life. And I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.